We're glad you've uh, chosen to take time to go through God's Word today with us at FX Church. Um, thanks for tuning in. May I just wish you a happy Passover, happy Easter Resurrection Sunday, and, and happy beginning of the Festival of Weeks or Shabbat that leads to uh, the uh, to Pentecost or to the coming of, of uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we seem to be living in a time of uncertainty. Seems as if there's limited, trustworthy information. Few people seem to be truly seeking God and His Word for answers. The church is a mess, and you don't know who or what to believe. That is the same context God has John write his letter of 1 John, which is the series that we're in. You see, God has John write this letter so that we can know His truths, show love for His commands, and grow in His love, so that our joy may be complete. You see, this is the time of year when we remember what God has done so that our joy might be complete. That in Christ, his death completed the penalty for sin. And his life, his coming back to life, proved that he was who he says he was. And it was for the joy that he endured the cross, knowing that we needed his death, burial, resurrection, and we desperately need him to come again. You see, there's a problem to our joy, though. The complete joy that we desire, we can't have uh, unless we deal with something. And the Bible calls that problem, that something, sin. And sin just means missing the mark. That God has a mark that he's shooting for, and then we miss it. God says that all have fallen short of his glory. That's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says that the consequences of our sin, of falling short of perfection has earned us the just sentence of death. That God is a just God. He doesn't let anything slide. And physical death that we have in our world is simply a symbol and warning to us of the spiritual death that will be the final payment if we don't deal with our sin. And see, that's what Christ did at Passover when he paid the price, when he was the lamb that was slain on our behalf in our place, like the lambs that were killed in the Old Testament to cover the sin of the people, when that happened and then he came back to life, he showed us that he was going to be our final payment and he showed us the solution. So today's message, the title is, coming from the book of 1 John, is we'll see that, that, first, that John writes, so that you may not sin that you may not sin. Have you ever wanted to not sin anymore? Just wanted to do the right thing and you struggle? Look, all of our decisions, sinful or right decisions, righteous decisions, have long-term consequences. Some of those consequences are, are positive. Some of them are negative. The one thing we do at FX Church and try to do clearly is lay out for people the consequences of the decisions they make and our response to those decisions. You see, we cannot avoid consequences. Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trouble. And he also said, you will be blessed. But you can live in God's power in the midst of the consequences. You see, typically we get manipulated to make decisions based on the avoidance of consequences that we don't want. Sometimes making the right decision has awful earthly consequences. And making the wrong decision actually sometimes can feel pretty good and work out for our benefit, at least short term. 
So how do we know what is the right or righteous decision and what is the sinful decision if we can't always tell by circumstances and consequences? Well, John is trying to get us to see in his letter what it is to mean that we may not sin. What is sin? What, what does that look like? And he gives us a picture. As we dive into 1 John, remember from last week, uh, kind of the purpose of what he's writing. In 1 John 1, he says, what was from the beginning? And then he jumps to, to verse 3, or we jump to verse 3, and he says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. And, he, and so he says, we're eyewitnesses. And he says, so that you may have fellowship along with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ, meaning who is God, who is Yahweh, who saves, who is the Savior, the Messiah. And he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John is saying, look, I want you to have fellowship with God and with one another. But then he goes on and we'll see today that there's this thing that stands in the way of that called our sin, our missing the mark. And he says, if you want to have complete joy, you're going to have to deal with the sin in your heart. With, with, with the desires that you have for yourself that aren't for God and aren't for others. And you see, in the church, one of the problems we have is that we're not honest with people about the consequences of a relationship with God from the beginning. We tell people about Jesus and, hey, your life will be better. And oftentimes for the majority of Christians, when you look around the globe, when they come to know Jesus, often their earthly lives get worse. They lose relationships. They lose opportunities. They're persecuted. And so we've got to really look at what it means to truly find joy in Him and what it means to not sin, not just because we don't want consequences or just because we, you know, want certain things to work out, but because it's what God says to do. In 1 John 1, 5, he says, now this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. I love this because in 2016, scientists discovered that at the moment of conception, when a sperm pierces an egg, there's a flash of energy and light. Then that child spends the next nine months, mostly in darkness to only come back out into the light. You see at conception, zinc is exploded. Billions of zinc atoms are released at the exact moment when the sperm pierces the egg. And using fluorescent light, scientists can track the movements of zinc in living cells. And the, these teams of scientists found, caught a glimpse of these zinc storage capabilities and found some 8,000 zinc compartments containing 1 million zinc atoms ripe for, for explosion. And then the tiny fireworks that happened as a result of conception were found to last for about two hours after fertilization. This is like watching a universe be thrown into existence of like stars exploding. See, that's our God. He is light and in him is life because he's the light. He is the giver and taker of life. You can't argue about the fact that it's God who gives and takes. Even if you don't believe in God, if you say, well, there is no God, life still gives and takes, sometimes without explanation. See, anytime God appears in Scripture, it's 
blinding, overwhelming light. And it causes people to go into the fetal position and fall and cover up. It's like the atom bomb drills in the 50s and 60s when they did duck and cover. And they saw the light and they said, you know, go under your desks and hide because the energy from that light is coming. And really that's what we're talking about. Light in its essence is simply energy in different forms. You see, Genesis 1 says it this way. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. How did a sheep herding ancient writer get the Big Bang right? You see, we must have matter, water, primordial soup, an energy, a source of light or, or life. We have to have a conception, something has to spark it. And this is exactly how it happened. They had no idea about science. You see, our, even our sun and our earth together, the earth orbits the sun at a perfect place. If it was a degree closer or a degree further away, it would either not be able to have water because it would evaporate or it would freeze. We're in this, this, this incredible, perfect zone where the basic requirements for life can exist. I mean, even our atmosphere is designed to protect us from certain harmful energy, radiation, light. And our universe is full of light and energy. And in recent years, we've even discovered dark energy, and we don't know what to do with that. It's all this light that God has shown to the world. And the more we dig down, whether it's at the moment of conception or looking at the universe or dark matter or anything, we keep finding light because God wants us to know him. You see, here's a quote from the father of physics, Sir Isaac Newton. He said, atheism is so senseless. When I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. This did not happen by chance. The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent being. You see, it takes the Spirit of God to bring energy and power and bring light. That's why in the book of Acts, you had these tongues of fire over the heads of the disciples. And the, the Spirit is hovering over the waters in this moment. Listen, God says that the Spirit his spirit is looking, is, is trying to draw men to himself, is hovering, looking for who he can deposit light and life into. If you're hearing this podcast, God wants that for you. He wants you to know that fellowship with him and joy in him can be complete, that, he, that you don't have to keep living the life of mess and sin that you have, that you can truly believe that at the moment of new birth, when you accept Jesus, there is a moment of, the Bible calls that being born again, a new conception that happens. And it says that we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of light in that moment. Just like the zinc atoms explode, there is a new explosion of power and ability to now know who God is and walk differently with him. In 1 John 1, or in John 1, which is John's gospel, not his letter, but in John 1, 1, I think I read this last week, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. 
That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. You see, a single light in a room is powerful. You can see so much. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus came to earth. He became the Word in flesh. All the words that have ever been written by Scripture are His words. And He became that physically for us and became the light that we could see, His life that people to this day, historians and people who don't even believe in Jesus, look at His life and say, that was an amazing life or light. And see, that's what it means is he's looking and he's saying, look, this life is in him. And if you have him, if you've trusted him, then you will have the light that he wants to give you. And it also means a whole new way of seeing and relating to the world so that no longer do you relate to to the world and do sin, but you become someone who sins less. You become someone who looks more and more to the light and less and less to the comfortable places of darkness that you've lived in. Move on in John 8, later in John's gospel, in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again. So he's teaching, he's speaking, and he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, now the Pharisees were the religious leaders that Jesus had said they were whitewashed tombs of dark death. He said to them, you say you believe in God, but you don't because you don't have his light. You have sin in you and you haven't dealt with it. And the Pharisees said, you're testifying about yourself. So your testimony is not valid. In other words, you need someone else to give testimony on your behalf. And Jesus replies, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came, where I come from or where I'm going. I want you to picture the scene in this story. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. It's early in the morning. The sun is just coming up to teach. They bring a woman caught in adultery to him They caught her in the darkness in the night. They throw him at his feet and Jesus, and they say, what should we do to judge this woman? She deserves to be killed and stoned. And Jesus says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and walk away. Why? Because in this passage, Jesus says, I have the light of life. He says, I am the light. They realize, and he explains to his disciples and those listening in this moment, they all realize that if I throw a stone and he knows a sin that I have, he's going to tell everyone around here what my sin was in the way that I treat this woman. You see, that's the beauty of our God. He doesn't let any sin slide. He looked at the woman and said, don't sin anymore. He said, look, I want you to to, to be saved, so now go so that you may not sin anymore. That's what he told the woman. And then here he says, I'm the light that brings what's sinful and what's wrong in. I make it clear. And then he says, but you don't know where I'm come from or where I'm going. Listen, we have no idea where we're coming from or going right now. We can't make plans. This, this crisis and this disease has, has brought us to a halt. And it it has caused us to realize how clueless we are and how clueless everyone else is to the past and the future. We need someone to tell us where we're coming from and where we're going. And Jesus is the light that did that. He made it clear that that was his plan from the beginning in Genesis. God said, look, there's going to be light. Man will sin 
and will break and separate from that light. And then I'm going to bring light again into the world to give man an opportunity to repent. I'm going to give him a season of repentance. That's Shavat that we celebrate between the resurrection Sunday from Passover until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. To us, we're in that season of weeks of Shabbat mentally waiting for the second coming of Jesus, the final coming of full light to restore all things. In 1 John 1 verse 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship with Him, that's with, with Jesus, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and have not practiced the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Man, he looks and he says, look, are you looking to have fellowship? Do you want to know that you are loved by God and loved by others? Then you can't walk in darkness. You can't love the things of darkness. You can't love the things that aren't of God. And if we say that we have fellowship with God, that we're good with God, that I pray to prayer, that I got baptized, that I go to church, but we're still walking in darkness, he says, you're lying to yourself. The best way to have confidence to know that you have fellowship with God and with His church is to just practice the truth. Now, we can't do that in our own strength. The only way we can practice the truth is if we've been born again, if we have the power source, the light that helps us to see. And that's why he says we have to walk in that light so that we can have fellowship. And the beauty of this passage is he says the way to do that is you have to have Jesus's blood to cleanse you. See, at Passover, God's people were in captivity, and he was trying to get them to be set free so they could go worship him, so that he could reveal himself to him, and then he could bring them the word of God, which is what happened on Shabbat. In the Old Testament, they, Pharaoh wouldn't let them be released. So God said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have to kill all the firstborn children to get Pharaoh's attention. I've done everything else I can to, to try to get him to see his sin and his brokenness and his wrongness, but he won't listen. So he said to the children of Israel, sacrifice the firstborn male lamb and put the blood as a covering over your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes, I will spare your firstborn. And anyone who did it was spared and anyone who didn't, didn't. And Pharaoh could have put blood over his doorpost, but he chose not to. And his son passed away. You see, God gives us warning, but he follows through on what he says because he is a God of truth and righteousness. And when he says something's right, he takes it to its full conclusion. And here is beauty because God's people were freed, then they went out and sinned, but God still gave them his word. He gave them the 10 commandments that came down off the mountain, which is what we still celebrate today. See, this is the beauty that Jesus's blood is what cleanses us and saves us and covers us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But you don't know the worst part about being cleansed? We have to admit we need to be clean. And if we say we don't have any sin and we're good, he says, you're a liar. We have to admit that we're going to have to appear naked before God in full light. I don't know about you, but I don't like to look at myself in a mirror after a shower in full light. I'd rather be in the dark most of the time. And if you do like to look at yourself, be careful because you may be stepping into pride and thinking that, look how awesome I am and how I've saved myself. 
You see, God says, I'm going to expose everything because I love you so much. I want you to know how to love me and love other people well. You see, we're not cleansed from our sin because of our effort. We're cleansed from our sin and saved because of what Christ did for us. But the question is, will we surrender to that? Will we embrace the consequences of making that decision? Because there are consequences. John 3, the gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, then this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people have loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the life so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. I love this. Jesus says, look, this is the judgment. He says, there's judgment. Light has come into the world and we love darkness. We don't want to be exposed and we don't want to expose anyone else because we recognize the consequences of being exposed. It reveals the truth about what we've been doing. And so he says, the problem is we want to avoid it. It's like Adam and Eve. When they sinned, the first thing they did is they tried to hide from God. They didn't want to be exposed. They didn't want to be seen. They tried to cover up. But see, if we live by the truth, listen, we will come to God. We'll believe that if we come to his life and we fall before him in the fetal position, that he will give us new birth. He will resurrect us. He will say, it's okay. I love you. And, he, and we can ask his forgiveness and know that we can then, the rest of our lives, show that everything that we ever do or have accomplished, even the sins we commit, we can ask forgiveness and show that all of that has been accomplished by God. It's not us, it's all Him. And He gets all the glory instead of what sin really is, which is us trying to take some of the glory for ourselves. If you want to feel the fellowship of God and the fellowship of the family of God and the joy and confidence that you can have, then you've got to deal with sin. You have to deal with the sin of your heart and the reality of the sin that continues to be all around us. In 1 John 2, John goes on to say, my little children, he calls us children. I don't know if that offends you or not, um, but we are. We're, we're children, especially compared to God. And John says, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. So John's wrote the entire first part, the first chapter of his letter, and he's talking about he wants us to have fellowship and he wants us to have joy and, and want to be confident that we can confess our sins. And then he says, the reason I'm writing this is so that you may not sin. In other words, he's saying, look, I know there's sin going on, but I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to feel the weight of that. And then he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In other words, we have Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah who saves, the righteous one, the one that's always right, that did the right thing and paid the penalty that we deserved when we wouldn't pay it. And he says he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That means substitute, that he steps in our place and lets us go free. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. In other words, just like the Spirit hovered in Genesis, just like the Spirit of God is looking for those that might repent and be saved, he says here that, that he died so that all of us might have access to the light of God so that we may not sin anymore, but that we would come to him. Listen, we're going to sin, but that's why we need discipleship. We need discipline -ship. 
We need to be discipled. We need a body, a fellowship around us that helps us, it, it, that, that tells us, hey, you're off and, and we want to help you get, not sin. And let's walk you through this patiently and have long suffering like God has with us, but doesn't ignore it. You see, so often people ignore sin. We don't want to confront it because number one, like the people holding the stones against the woman caught in adultery, we don't want anybody to call us out on our sin. And number two, the reason we don't do it is because the consequences to losing relationships and all those things is just too high. And so it's easier to just ignore it. In Matthew 4, 16, it says, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Listen, that is the message of scripture. It's repent because God wants to come near. He wants to bring his kingdom near to you. He wants to show you how great he is, how great of a king he is, how wonderful it is to know him and the promises that await us after this life in the shadow land of death, which he says here. He wants to show us that there's hope on the other side of this. And he wants to show us that that process is by us repenting. And repenting is simple. It just means us turning, that we're going towards darkness. We're going one direction and we say, you know what? No more. I want to move towards the light. I want to move to the way God wants me to move. And I want him to expose what's true. I don't want to just pursue what I want. In 1 John 2, 3, he goes on to say, this is how we are sure that we have come to know him. Do you want to be sure that you know God? Not you might, he's far off in the distance, but do you truly want to be sure that you know God? If you're a believer and you've prayed a prayer, you got baptized, you go to church, do you want to be sure that you know him? Then he says in verse three, if you want to be sure, then he says, if you want to be sure of that, by keeping his commands, keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. He says there that we should keep his commands. Do you realize that when we fail to keep his commands, then the command is to repent. The command is to say, I'm sorry, man, I messed up. The command is to just say, you're right again. I need you again. I want you more. I'll do the right thing. Help me do the right thing. I'll put people in my life that help me do the right thing. That's what he calls us to do. And if we say we've come to know him, yet we don't like to have his commands brought up, we don't like to have to deal with them, we just want to ignore him and read the parts of the Bible that make us feel good, we've got a problem. We're lying to ourselves and we're allowing ourselves to be lied to. And it doesn't work out well. And God says, I don't want you to sin because when you sin, you begin to doubt me. And when you doubt me, you don't have joy. And then fellowship is messed up and relationships are messed up. And so he says, I want you to remain with me. And when we sin, can we just be honest? When we sin, we normally don't ask God. We put God to the side and just do what we want. Or we get out in front of him. And we do things thinking that we have his blessing only to turn around and realize we're no longer walking with him. We need to walk with him so we might not sin. Matthew 7, verse 7, this is what Jesus says. Because this is complicated, we'll begin to address sin. And Jesus said, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For the judgment you use will be judged. You, (laughs) sorry, for with the judgment you use, you will be judged. 
and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. See, Jesus says in Matthew 7, this is one of those favorite verses that people say, well, Jesus said not to judge. He didn't say not to judge ever. He said that don't condemn. The word there for judge is don't condemn people. Don't say, well, they can't ever repent. They can't ever know me. No, he died for everyone. He says, don't judge so that you won't be then condemned or feel condemned or not, or you'll believe you can't be saved. He says, for the judgment you use will be judged. You will be judged with, and the measure you use will be measured to you. Look, if I've judged myself to what Christ has done, and I measure myself to what he says is true in his word and the judgments that his word says, and his judgment's been taken out on him for our behalf, and he came back to life to show me that I will have life with him one day, then the judgment I use is that. I look at people and I say, if you don't know him, you're judged. You're already judged. That's what uh, John 3, uh, 17 talks about. It says that, that we're already judged, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says, but the world's already condemned. See, we're already under the weight of sin and God and why Jesus came into the world was to try to get us out from under that weight. That doesn't alleviate consequences because other people don't want to hear that they're sinful. And so they attack Christians and they don't want to hear that message. And so Jesus is not saying don't judge. We have to make judgments every day. He's saying just be careful because the measure by which you judge will come back on you. Listen, if we're measuring by God's word because we love God, because we love Jesus, because we've accepted him, because we love people and we're concerned for their soul and we don't want to see them hurt themselves or hurt other people, that it's not about, we want you to do everything right so we can create a utopia. Utopia doesn't exist. We can't do everything right to create the perfect church. But if we're concerned enough about people to tell them, I'm concerned for your soul and I want you to be a light to other people, then we can look at them and allow God's word to judge them just like it judges me or you when we read it. He goes on in verse five, and this is key. He says, hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, I love this. Jesus says, look, I recognize that there's a speck in my brother's eye, but before I go to take it out, I'm not going to be helpful to him if I don't deal with my own sin. I don't judge myself first and put that judgment on Christ, ask his forgiveness so that I rightly, with the right light, can serve people. You know, I'm amazed that eye doctors, eye doctors use light to be able to see the eye, to diagnose things and the intricacies of the eye. And that's exactly the case here that if you want to pull the speck out and you have a doctor that that can't see, he can't help you. If he doesn't see clearly, he can't help you. If he wants to get the speck out of your eye, but he's never dealt with his own stuff. Listen, we've got to deal with our own stuff. And once we've dealt with it, we can help get the speck out of someone else's eye. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we never sin. It just means before I go pointing out a speck, I have to recognize the log. I need to confess it. I need to admit God's word is true about it. I need to get help to begin to do something with it. And then when I approach my brother, I have something to tell him. Look, I went to Jesus. He forgives you. He forgives me. If you want to go to him, here's how I got help from the body of Christ. Here's how I've been disciplining my life. And that's how we work together for true fellowship and true joy so that we might not sin. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul says, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? You see, we don't want God to tell us about how to do relationships. 
We want to believe that, that we can make relationships happen on our terms. God's like, you can't. Don't mess with this. You, you can't have light and darkness in common. That doesn't mean that we don't reach out to people in darkness. That's what Jesus came. He came and he put himself in darkness, in our world, so that he could be the light of the world to us. But he didn't have fellowship with the world. He stood up to God and he said, look, you need to have fellowship with my father and I, not with one another. And so be careful how close you get to the world. Be careful and how close your relationships are, because I'm telling you, the darkness will lead you to sin more, not to fellowship with him. You know, I was walking with my daughter the other day, and we were talking about the laws or rules we had growing up, and we didn't have a curfew. We didn't have like, you can't date till you're 16. We didn't have like these hard and fast rules. But what my daughter said is she goes, you guys always focused on relationships, You always talked about relationships. You always tried to put the relationships that we had in the proper context. Who's lost? Who's saved? Who's walking with God? Who's not? And and how we interacted with them. Listen, that's what God does with us. That's why these verses are so critical. He goes on to say in Ephesians 5, 6 through Paul, let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all God or all in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but ex- but instead expose them. You know, I love this passage. This passage talks about going back to the Holy Spirit, that if we walk as children of light in the Holy Spirit, that it's the fruit of light. It's the fruit of the Spirit that leads to the same attributes here as we read in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. And then we'll be able to discern what is pleasing, not sinful, to the Lord. But if we're not going to walk in God's light and know His Word, which is the light, and walk in right relationship with Him and with His body, the church, then we're never going to know what's pleasing. We're never going to know where we're coming or from or going to. And what's going to happen? Because if we won't do that, then God's going to start to expose us. And it's going to be embarrassing. And we're going to feel the weight of that. And the reason he does that is not because he doesn't love us. It's because he loves us so much. Proverbs says that it's a bad, hateful father who does not discipline his son with the rod. And that's a hard verse. But what God is saying is if you're not willing to go all the way, to discipline your kids in what's right before God, then you better check your heart. Do you want them to be your friend? Do you want them to just get along with you? You're just trying to cold things? Or do you really want them to walk with the Lord? You see, that's exactly what God's speaking of in this passage, that we are the light and he wants us to be on display. But see, we want to hide it. Why? Because we don't want to be the ones that expose people to the light because we know the consequences We're going to be persecuted. We're going to lose relationships. Or on the other side, the good consequences, we're going to have to take responsibility for that person that we reach and now disciple them. And they're going to be in our lives and it's more relationships to manage and less time for the things I want to do and more time for the people God wants me to disciple. You know, this is the message God has. And in 1 John 2, 7, he goes on. And so he says, little children, and now he says, dear friends, 
I'm not writing to you a new command. He's like, look, this whole don't sin thing that I just talked about, you know, I, I don't want you to sin anymore and we need to live in the light. Look, I'm not writing you anything new, but an old command that you've heard from the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. The old command is the message you've heard. In other words, this message hasn't changed. It's not, it's ancient. It's the whole Passover, new life, so that we can go out and celebrate and reveal to the world that God has rescued us like he did in the Old Testament. And it's the anticipation that he is going to come and give us his light and his word, which he did with the Ten Commandments, which he did in the book of Acts after he was crucified and resurrection, resurrected, and then he brings the Holy Spirit. And today we're still living in the festival of weeks. We're living in that moment where we know that death has been paid for us. We know there's a resurrection coming for us. And we live in between that moment of the resurrection and the fullness of seeing Jesus' second coming. You know, but here's the question. Do I really want Jesus and his return? Or do I just want him to fix things so I can have the life I want? That I just want him to fix the sin problems of the world so I can have a nice little life. You see, I've been in a lot of prayer times over the last several weeks, but I don't hear much of people praying and longing for Jesus's return and asking him to help them wait in this time or wait in their lives in being patient while they celebrate and surrender themselves in service to him with a confidence anticipation, regardless of the circumstances or the feelings they have. See, that's what the early church did. They believed that Christ was going to come back. They made him known. They, they knew they had to be the light before, before he came in his full light. You see, we've got to look back to look forward, and we've got to look to heaven. Don't settle. Because if we have that heart where we realize that this isn't some new thing, but this is the message that's been forever, it really helps us with our sin issues. It helps us to see ourselves in the right context and to see others in the right context. Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 says this command. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus is asked. Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. See, God says you can sum up the whole Bible to love him and love people. Here's the issue though. We don't want to love God and love people according to his definition of love. See, we've created a new definition of what is a command and what's great and what's loving. You see, God wants us to love him the way he says to be loved. And he wants us to love people the way he's commanded and says for them to be loved. That's the whole message of the Bible. But see, we don't want to do that. We want to make our own commands, our own laws, our own definitions. And God says, you can't. If you do that, you're entering into sin. You're becoming God. Listen, God is loving all the time. In the middle of his wrath, he's being loving. In the middle of his justice, he's being loving. In the middle of his mercy, he's being loving. In the middle of his patience, he's being loving. In the middle of his, 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 his change instantaneous, he, he's being loving. God doesn't stop being loving. It's just we've called this new word love to mean we don't judge, we don't think, we don't, there's no consequences. Look, love has serious consequences. And saying that you will love someone has serious consequences, so much so that, that Jesus is still paying. He paid those consequences of love on our behalf. See, 1 John 2, 1 says, Yet I am writing to you a new command. 
which is true in Jesus, in him and in you. In other words, it's coming to you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He said, so yes, it's an old command, but when Jesus came, he revealed to us the new way that we're going to live this out, that no longer are we waiting for a Messiah because he is the Messiah, where they were waiting for a Messiah in the Old Testament. And now we're waiting for his second coming because his first coming revealed what love really was and what wrath really was. And there's coming a day of wrath and we need to tell people about God's love before they have to face his wrath. They need to, we need to tell people about their sin so that they understand how to deal with it before we get to that point. See, I love that God lays this out for his people. This is so clear that the Holy Spirit came, the light came to give us confidence in how to deal with our sin. The light of the Holy Spirit is in believers shining the full light of God's message that he's coming, that he's coming again. And we are to worship and we're to celebrate and to get ready for that. And that's Pentecost that we celebrate in just a few weeks. In 1 John 2, 9, it says, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. You see, we're to walk in the light of the truth about who God is as revealed in his word. And if we're not doing that, if we're arguing about things and not going to scripture to figure these things out, then we're going to have darkness. And it says we don't need to stumble in him. And if we have hatred towards our brother, we better check that. But can I just remind you what I read earlier? That, that Proverbs says that it's hatred for the father not to discipline his son. We need to discipline one another. We need to call one another out on our sins. We need to help one another to walk with God. And we need to be long-suffering in that and have consequences to rejecting that. The Bible lays that out. Matthew 18 talks about how to do that, how to confront sin in your brother. I encourage you to read that if you don't know what that looks like. And it arrives at a place where we as a church have to declare who's a brother and who's not. And that is the hardest thing to do. And we're so scared to do anything like that. And yet we've got to know. And the Bible says in Matthew 18 that we declare them an unbeliever at some point. Look, it's not to condemn them. It's to say, hey, they're not believing in God. Help them believe in God. Don't assume they're believing in God. Even though they might be doing godly things, they won't deal with their sin. You see, it's much easier to be the one who can see in a bunch of blind people, with a bunch of blind people, because the blind people can't point out your sin. But to make everybody be able to see, all of a sudden things are going to be seen and said that you may not want to hear. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to tell people that they can see if the light will come in. And here he says, they don't know where they're going. If you walk in the darkness, you're going to feel like you don't know where you're going. You're going to feel like you have no confidence and you're blind. In 1 John 2, 12, he wraps up and he says, I'm writing to you, little children. So he said, little children, friends. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus's name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've had victory over the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you've come to know the father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have victory over the evil one. You see, this pattern is an ancient one. He says here, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven, that if you confess your sins, 
1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all sin. He says, I'm writing so that you know your sins are forgiven, but you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to admit and come to him and repent. We have to say that your name be glorified, not ours, that I don't care what circumstances, I don't care what consequences come, I just want to confess and I want to be right with you regardless of what happens around me. See, that's how we have our sins forgiven. And once that happens, the Holy Spirit enters us. It's that moment of conception that light comes in and then we begin to really know him. And then we begin to experience some victory, this passage says. And then we know him even more from that victory and we grow stronger. And then we long for his word and that word remains in us and grows in us so that we can see that we will have victory forever. And then we can go out and tell people that same message. You see, That's the pattern that John's trying to get us to see, that if you may not sin, I want you to see that you don't have to live in your sin and in your mess. You might have to live in the consequences. You might have to deal with the fallout of some things, but you do not have to live believing that there's no power because he is the light. He is the energy that brought life and light into the world. Let me ask you today, do you know Jesus? Have you repented? Have you turned from the darkness to turn to the light? Have you asked him to come in and allowed him to bring his light into your life so that you can know that your sins are forgiven? So that you can then know him fully and his fellowship and his joy and begin to know him with some other people? That you can begin to have discipleship in your life and see victory begin to happen as he makes you into the person he wants you to be for his glory and not your own. And as that happens, that you start to know him more and grow stronger and see that his word is good. Listen, this is the process. If you don't know Jesus, surrender today. Say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I confess. I don't want to do this anymore. He says, I'll forgive you and I'll give you the power to be different. For those of us who are believers, are you walking in darkness? Are there relationships? Are there things that you're not willing to address before God? And he's looking at you right now and saying, I've put you in this season. I've put you in this moment because I want you to learn to not sin anymore. I want you to learn what it looks like to to really walk with me instead of walking in the ways of the darkness of this world. That he's pressed pause on everything. So there isn't much left for us to really, truly put our foundation and trust in other than I hope he comes back and make things right someday. And will you share that message? Will you be his light to others? See, that's what I have for you this Resurrection Sunday. See, Jesus has always been the one that was going to pay the penalty. He pays the penalty for our sin. He shows us that there is life. He asks us to live and to wait for his filling and return fully. And he fills us with his spirit now when we repent. Listen, I want you to not sin. I don't want to sin. And God says that he has a plan. Go back and read through these scriptures and see that God loves you so much that he's made it clear for you to have confidence to know that your sins can be forgiven and that your sins can be delivered. You can be delivered from the mess of your sin. Thanks for tuning in today. If you've made a decision, I'd encourage you to reach out to our church, to reach out to me, to reach out to any of our staff. We want to help you. We want you to see what John sees. We want you to see that you can have fellowship with the body of Christ. We want you to see that there is a joy that God wants you to have that can be complete in Him. We want you to have a confidence about your sins being forgiven. And we want you to see that you can start doing life in a way that you sin less. Thanks for tuning in. Love you. 
Jesus loves you. Hopefully you'll tune in next week. Thanks.